across the middle is Slovis. That's a Banacanda. Makes a man miss. There goes Izzy. Izzy. Touchdown. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Today I will be analyzing, is he the most athletic man in America? Maybe Israel Abanikanda. And I'm thrilled to be joined once again by my good friend Snoogie at FFSnoog on Twitter. How's it going? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me on again. It's good to be back and I'm excited to dive deep into one of my favorite sleeper running backs in the class. Yeah, I mean, if people were sleeping, they're not anymore. Obviously, Abanikanda at the Pit Pro Day had a hell of a day. He ran somewhere between a three-second 40 and more likely around a 4-4. But still, he jumped a 41-inch vertical, um, putting up one of the basically best athletic showings we've ever seen from a running back. Basically unprecedented, putting him in the territory with, you know, Brees Hall, Edrew, and James, those types. Uh, let's start off real quick. One sentence, what do you like about Abanikanda? So you pretty much nailed it on the head at the start. He has that elite athleticism and that elite workhorse size that not a lot of running backs in this class have. So I think he stands out there with those two traits alone. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's got the size-speed combo weighing in at, I think it was 212 pounds, that just not many running backs, particularly in this class, have. Um, let's start off for those who've listened to prospect previews before, we're of course going to cover a little bit of the player's background production, get into some film strengths and weaknesses, rank this player among their class and among really all the running backs, uh, and get into uh, some player comps. So to start off with the Benacanda's background, not a highly recruited prospect. He was a three-star coming out of New York, ended up going to pit where he didn't do a whole lot his first year, his second year on campus. He was in a timeshare getting about 10 touches a game, but still not doing a whole lot. And then this last year, he absolutely exploded, carried the ball 239 times, 1,400 yards, had 20 touchdowns, only 12 catches on top of that, which is something we'll get back to. But Abanikanda is really the definition of a one-hit wonder. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And one thing that you mentioned was this 20-touchdown season, which actually led all of college football. So that was impressive. He he likes to find the end zone for sure. And to blend in with his production profile, you mentioned the 12 catches. I think it's more the offense wasn't really as pass-heavy than it was with a Kenny Pickett-led offense because I know in his sophomore year he caught 24 passes, which is a very good, I think, threshold personally for a running back in college, especially if you're catching 24 passes, that's not bad. He's not a great pass catcher, but he's definitely a decent one. More check downs, dump off screens, stuff like that. But I think his home run ability is just going to carry his way, especially at the next level. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, 24 catches isn't bad throughout his career. He's in exactly the 50th percentile in target share, 44th percentile in targets per route run. Like you said, he he's been an average receiving running back. And that's something I want to dig into more um, as it, it'll obviously impact his uh, dynasty value and fantasy production in the NFL. Let, let's get right into the film because I, I want to talk the combine, but let's do it through the film because I, it, honestly, if you're not seeing it on film, I don't really care what they're doing in short. So why don't we start off with some of his strengths? What do you see from a on the football field? 
So I definitely see that he's a really explosive runner and he shows off that size and speed on film. Um, He's one of those guys that kind of just Jonathan Taylor gets the handoff and takes it 70 yards to the house. Um, He led college football with 13 rushing touchdowns of 10 plus yards. So this is a guy that doesn't vulture goal line touchdowns, even though he can, because he has great size, but he's also popping off long runs. I know he had a couple 80 plus yard runs, which is spectacular, especially for his size, 5'10, 217, which ends up being a 30.7 BMI, which also stands out in this class. But his film is just breakaway run, breakaway run, breakaway run. Then he also shows off good power throughout the film, too. Um, Those are some of the strengths that I noticed that I really like. It's more so he's just that elite sized running back with elite athleticism and he's just chugging away on the football field. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that you mentioned Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, he's not the level of back that Jonathan Taylor was. But when looking at his ability to break off these big runs, one thing that Izzy that I liked and didn't like was that he is a very decisive runner. He's going to pick a hole. He's going to hit that hole. And if there's no one in it, he's going to break it and he won't get caught. That 4-3 speed showed it, but also it it is his size, right? The size in the open field is really good because if he has a hole and he can hit the secondary, he can break that one tackle with solid power and contact balance, re-accelerate, and then he's absolutely gone. Exactly. I, I love how you mentioned solid contact balance and power because that's definitely not something that stands out on film. Yeah. But he does show that it, it's, a, it's a decent trait of his. It's not his best, but it's not a weakness, which is a key thing to focus in on is he has all the elite size and athleticism traits. And he also has a good blend of power and balance, which which is very good, especially for the running backs after the top five. You want the highest upside shot in those second rounds of rookie drafts. So I just think he's the go-to guy to try to hit that high-level ceiling on. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, it's solid. Well, I actually have that down as a weakness, which we'll get into a little bit. But I think the place that it is a strength is in the open field. When he's going up against smaller players in the secondary, when he's already got a head of steam behind him, he he's not super elusive and his change of direction isn't excellent but he is very difficult to bring down in the open field. And like we've been saying, he is an explosive runner. Um, Let's touch a little bit on his receiving game. I know we went over the stats, 24 catches uh, his sophomore year, and then 12 catches his uh, junior year. What did you see from him in terms of what types of routes he was running? How are his hands? How's his running after the catch? That type of thing. Yeah, so so he's not really a dynamic receiving back out of the backfield. Like I said, everything was kind of dump offs, check downs, stuff like that. More so capable rather than it's a it's a good trade of his, but 6.2% college target share. Like you said, it's around the 50th percentile, so it's doable. But I I didn't see a diverse route tree at all. He's not the best running back in terms of his natural hands, but his, at his pro day, he he mentioned in, in the interview that he really wanted to show that he can catch the ball. And that's a lot of scouts wanted to see him catch the ball. And he did that. Well, I, I watched all the clips from his pro day and he was catching the ball in front of him with his hands, using his hands, no body catching. That's key to focus in on, on these running backs is if they, they have the hands because sometimes it's a scheme thing, right? People focus in on, Oh, but he only caught 20 passes or 10 passes. He's not an elite receiving back. But people said that about Travis Etienne, and yeah. then 
his senior year, he caught like 50 passes. So it, it's just a thing. And same with Najee Harris, who's actually a really good receiving back. So that that's just something when it's, if you're asked to do it, are you capable of doing it? And I do think Izzy is capable. I don't think it's a strength, but it's definitely not something that he absolutely cannot do. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, I, I like to group running backs in terms of receiving the ball in three different levels, right? There's the guys that are basically wide receivers, right? You're talking Jameer Gibbs in this class. You're talking DeAndre Swift, Austin Eckler, those types of guys. There's guys that, depending on the scheme, could easily catch 50, 60 passes in the NFL just based on dump-offs, right? I'm talking Josh Jacobs, who's got solid hands. He's obviously good running the football after the catch, but he's not running these complicated routes. And then you have the Damian Harris's of the world who's, you know, basically hands made of bricks. So that's just not going to work out. I, I think a Banny Kanda solidly falls in the middle of that range, which then the receiving production is just based on landing spot and whether he's a good enough player to, you know, get those targets. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, and the Damian Harris reference was funny because he, he really does <laughs> have bricks for hands, but one thing that I kind of want to touch base on about a band Kanda is he did break out on a pass heavy offense that was led by Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison, where all the attention went to those two guys. The production doesn't really speak for it, but if you look at in terms of the rush yards, he was, I think he was 18 years old at the time because he's just 20 years old now. Yeah. So I think he was playing at 18 years old as a sophomore on that very stacked offense that put up a ton of points and a, not positive, but I'm pretty sure as well. He was a double digit touchdown scorer in that year as well. So he wasn't getting as much work between the twenties, but he was definitely getting the goal line work because Jordan Addison was a hundred reception guy. So it's kind of hard in college football to be a dominant rush guy in an offense where Kenny Pickett throws for almost 5,000 yards. So yeah, I just absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's super important because Abanikanda, we said, you know, he only had about 50 rushing yards a game. That still led the team, right? He was he was in a three-way timeshare. Three running backs received between 100 and 142 carries. And Abanikanda, this is something I love looking at, right? Compare him to the other running backs on his team. So Abanikanda in 2021 had 5.3 yards per carry. The non-Abanikanda rushing average was 4.6. In 2022, Izzy had 6.0 yards per carry. Non-Izzy running backs had 4.7. So Abanikanda is clearly outperforming his teammates. It took until this last season for him to truly take over the backfield, but you can see he was just dominant. Six yards per carry on 240 attempts with 20 touchdowns. That is a hell of a season, and he showed late in the season especially that he could carry a ridiculous workload after uh, – week five against Georgia tech, he had 36, then 28, then 26, then 14 carries four weeks straight handling 140 carries in four weeks. That is a hell of a workload. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this guy's just a straight up horse, right? And this is something we need to really focus in on in our rookie drafts is guys in his range, like Tajay Spears, Chase Brown, Roshan Johnson, all those guys, they don't have as clean as a profile as Israel Banaconda. And I know we mentioned some of his weaknesses. He's most definitely a very raw runner. It's it's not like he's super pretty on tape, but you can see the potential there. And you can see that he has some traits that if he develops those traits into a solid strength, 
this guy's ceiling is literally the moon. So I just think win your rookie drafts by drafting him in the second round, especially if he lands in an offense where he's getting touches from day one in the NFL. And if he's running behind holes that are the size of a bus, this dude's going to score a lot of touchdowns and have a lot of big runs. Yeah, and and I'll get into that a little bit more when we talk about his weaknesses in terms of what the offensive line needs to be. But sticking with the strengths for now, from a production perspective, age-adjusted points per game, Israel Abanacanda was in the 95th percentile. Because like you said, he did this all from a young age. We look at these top 90, these top two percentile guys. We got Jonathan Taylor, Brees Hall, Saquon Barkley, Bijan Robinson, a few other guys, and then coming in is Israel Abanacanda. So, you know, there are some misses in that range, talking about, you know, Devin Singletary, Kenny Gainwell, but those are not guys who are in, you know, Pitt, which is obviously a big program. So what Abanacanda was able to do, just in terms of a real production and college standpoint, in that one season was very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree there. And one thing that I'm not big on and using in my process, I'm not sure if you are, but I know some people are. He had a 97th percentile college dominated rating of 46.5%. So I'm not sure how that kind of gets formed and how they speculate that, but clearly. Yeah, so I I can tell you dominator rating is basically – I prefer to use like yards per team attempt, but yeah. dominator rating is basically what percentage of the touches, yards, and touchdowns did he get? It's mostly yards and touchdowns for a running back. So 47% is obviously absurdly high. Um, yeah. I don't use that specific metric in my model, but I use a lot of other metrics like, you know, points per game that get to a similar number, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And one thing too, I want to touch base on a little bit is his 41 inch vertical. Yeah, at 217 pounds at the running back position. I think that would have been better than any of the wide receivers in this class as well. Don't don't uh, count me on that for sure. But I'm pretty sure that is a thing. And that is ridiculous to just go to show how much of an athlete and how raw this player is and what his ceiling really could be. Because main things that you want to focus on in these running backs to hit that high ceiling is are they elite athletes? Can they carry the workload? Do they have elite workhorse size? And he checks all three of those boxes, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And and speaking to his upside, that's why it's there, right? He He's shown he can carry a full workload. He's shown he's at least good enough at receiving the ball. And he has a lot of the tools needed to be an excellent running back. With that, though, I do want to get to some of his weaknesses because it sounds like you're higher on a Banacanda than me. I do respect what his ceiling might be, but I want to get to some of his weaknesses. And number one, it's his elusiveness. There's a reason he didn't run the three-cone drill or the shuttle drill. It's because he wouldn't have done very well. Izzy is not that good of a horizontal athlete. His agility is not that good, especially you saw when there was interior early pressure by a defensive tackle or by a defensive end, especially when they were going up against a 3-4 and you need to make that quick little move. He was not able to do it. And if he doesn't get moving, I look at him as the type of player, if he picks up seven yards, he's going to pick up 70. But if he, but if it's going to be a, you know, maybe a five yard run, he's going to make that a zero yard run kind of in the, in the mold of a Kenneth Walker. I don't think he's that level prospect, but he just doesn't have the ability to shift lanes. So 
if if whatever was on schedule turns out to be off schedule, I don't think he's the ability to be creative and elusive enough to make something out of nothing. <laughs> yeah, I swear I swear you're next to me right now looking on my notebook and feeling <laughs> all my weaknesses. So I you pretty much covered everything that I have an issue with with him. His elusive ability is just not great. It's not no, there. No. He's not a very agile player and he definitely struggles in the short areas. So that's where the scheme is going to come into play, right? So is this guy going to be running behind a great O-line? If he does, he, I really do have him as a – we'll get into comps later, but I have him into a, a beast of a rusher in terms of just hit the hole and go. So he's a one-cut-and-go type of guy, and he's not going to make you miss behind the line and then make another person miss and then get six extra yards when it should be a loss of two, right? He's probably yeah. going to lose those two yards. So those are definitely two – of two to three of my biggest weaknesses for him that are most definitely a concern because a lot of other backs in this class actually have good qualities in those areas. So that's kind of where you got to weigh out your scale, right? Um, another a weakness I had that we kind of already covered is his dynamic ability as a receiver. Yeah. Like we said, kind of check down guy, not really a versatile route tree. He's not going to go and, run. And away. I think a lot of, I think a lot of his lack of dynamism as a receiver is due to similar issues that plague him in the running game. It, if you think about what a running back has to do after he catches, let's say a check down, he's going to have a guy right on him that he's probably going to need to make miss with a quick juke move, maybe a stiff arm, something like that. And then he's going to be able to pick up speed and go down the field if you throw a dump off to Izzy and there's a guy right on him, he's probably not going to make that guy miss. Cause similar to how similar to in the running game, if he doesn't get his legs going, he's just not that elusive. And I also found that his power was only effective when he got that, when he got his ball rolling downfield essentially. So if he was, if someone was making contact with him either in the hole or before the hole, he wasn't going to break that tackle. But if someone was making contact with him in the secondary, he was pretty good at changing speeds, doing a little leg hide or just breaking the tackle with contact balance. But I think that's an interesting uh, kind of clarification to make about when his contact balance is good versus bad. Yeah, I'm sure you saw that play against Tennessee where he catches that screen pass and just oh, yeah. gets momentum and absolutely runs that. See, I think he was a safety over and stays mm -hmm. on his feet, which was a spectacular play. And that's kind of where he shows those flashes of contact, balance, and power. But like you said, from zero to 100, it's taken him to get to full speed, get that momentum, get that power going in his game. It's not within zero to five yards. So that's Absolutely. definitely something to keep in mind and focus in on. Yeah, and to just put a little bit of numbers behind that, his yards after contact per attempt is only in the 34th percentile, not very strong. And that kind of goes along with what I'm saying, where if he's contacted early, he's probably going down. But if he's contacted seven eight yards into his run he he can still break it yeah exactly and that's a very good number to focus in on because i have that too that i was going to talk about so that kind of speaks for his power itself so yeah. his power is definitely not a strength in his game so at that size you wonder will he get power to his game will the right co coaching staff help him work on implementing his size and speed and power into just bulldozing people we don't know but it's definitely a possibility yeah absolutely and and i think that's where you know a lot of what we do is 
you need to look at a player for what are they and what could they be. And what could they be is a lot based on work ethic. It's based on inherent athleticism and talent. And it's based off landing spot and coaching staff. And I think for Izzy, more than almost any other player in this class, that's going to be the key. If he can get on a team with a good offensive line who's going to push downhill, like I look at Izzy and, and now we can get a little bit into the player comps as a guy like Elijah Mitchell, where, I mean, I think he's a little bit more explosive than that, but where he's a one cut runner, if there's a lane, he's going to absolutely hit it. He can run over some DBs in the secondary, but if there's not a lot there, he's going to lose those two yards. So I think him getting into a good scene like Mitchell did in, in SF, obviously one of the best running schemes in the league, he could be a really good player. But there also is a big floor for him as well. Or sorry, a low floor for him as well. Yeah, I actually like that comp. I haven't heard the Elijah Mitchell comp yet. And that's definitely one that I want to keep in mind because they yeah. are one cut and go backs and they can't explode and absolutely gash you down the middle. Um, so my comp for him is actually if Nick Chubb and Tevin Coleman had a baby. Hey, so Tevin Coleman was my other comp. Yeah, so he's too big to be Tevin Coleman because Tevin yeah. Coleman was a 5'11", 206-pound guy. But he's also not as dynamic and fluid as a runner as Nick Chubb. So I kind of blended the size of Nick Chubb with the running styles and play styles as Tevin Coleman, and you get Israel of Anaconda. So that's definitely two comps that I like to blend together in order to get kind of a realistic ceiling outcome for him. And like you said, San Fran would be a phenomenal spot for him. I know CMC is there, so it's definitely not now, but a type of style run team like that. Miami's another good one. Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert are kind of one cut and go backs as well that show off their speed. And they dominated and did actually very well in that system. And they yeah. both don't stay healthy. So if a 20-year-old Israel Banakana gets drafted there day two, that could definitely eventually be his backfield and disguise the limit there for him. Do you think that Abanaconda with his uh with his pro sorry, with his pro day has secured himself a day two slot? I actually do, and I tweeted that the other day because you got to look at it like this. So there's not a lot of big running backs in this class, right? So he stood out athletically, and his size definitely stands out. And he's also only, I think he just turned, I think he's like 20.4 years old. So he's the yeah, youngest he's, in this class. He'll be going into the to his rookie year as his age 20 season. That's just very intriguing to me and definitely for NFL teams as well because – when you look at his raw abilities, you say, okay, this kid is still a kid. He can't even crack open a cold beer and drink it on the sideline, right? If he wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And he was also a very clean profile in terms of what I have him written down as um, elite athlete. He has elite size. He's a home run hitter. He's an early declare. He's 20 years old and he has the production profile as long as, as well with the breakout age of, 18 years old so he has a really clean profile head to toe but some of the weaknesses could definitely cut into his game and that's what makes him so polarizing and i'm all i'm all for the upside in this so i'm going all in on a bandaconda and rookie drafts this offseason yeah and you mentioned he has a very good profile i want to speak to that a little bit so since 2018 he's actually 13th in my quantitative model, which is incredibly high, right? The only guys above him are your JT, Javante, ETN, Saquon, DeAndre Swift types. He ranks very highly. So if he does get that draft capital, 
really the sky is the limit for him. A lot of that does have to do with his age. He doesn't really have any weaknesses on his profile other than the fact that he only had one big year of production. But like we already talked about, his sophomore year was pretty impressive given his age and given what Pitt's strategy was and given the fact he had 24 receptions. So his profile is actually pretty good. The one other, sorry, two other guys I wanted to comp him to, I'd be interested in your opinion, uh, Rashad Penny uh, with hopefully better health record and Bryce Love, who's a guy who I was absolutely in love with before the injuries as well. Those two guys have had some injury concerns, but I view them in the same way where it's solid size, really good burst and explosiveness. Yeah, I actually like the Rashad Penny comp as well. You're nailing the comps here. Bryce Love, I never got into him. He was actually... He's a 2020 guy, right? So he was 2019. He won the Heisman, I believe, in 2017. Um, I, he... uh, I I have some good friends who went to Stanford, so I, I ended up watching a ton of Bryce Love. He tore his ACL, I believe, in back-to-back years and ended up being like Ooh. a sixth-round pick and was out of the league. So obviously I'm comparing him to college Bryce Love. Um, but Bryce Love, was, a, I believe he won the Heisman. So clearly that's a, that's a positive comp from coming from me. Yeah, so I, I don't know anything about Bryce Love. Wasn't he a commander at some point? I ha- Maybe he came on yeah. there. I, I know he got cut after his rookie year because of health. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know much on that, but I like the penny comp a lot, and I'm guessing Bryce Love's just another big body back with good speed and athleticism. So I could definitely see that comp blending as well. Um, one thing that I wanted to mention to you mm-hmm. is – Two questions I have for you. Where is he in your rankings as of right now? And where would he be in your rankings? Say he's a day two guy, maybe even an early, like a mid to late second round pick in the NFL draft. Yeah. So I've been struggling with him in my rankings because he marks way higher in my quantitative rankings than my film rankings. So I can tell you based on film, he is my RB seven. Um, based on my quantitative ranks, he is my RB So the blend of that, you know, obviously it's not a one for one. I have a more complicated blend than that, but he's right in that range with Sean Tucker, Zach Evans. I have Kendra Miller a little bit lower, um, Devin Akane, those types of guys. So he could easily shoot up to the RB4 on my board, depending on the landing spot. If he goes day two, if he goes as the fourth running back off the board in the NFL draft, it's going to be hard to keep him away from being the RB2 because he's a guy who I think can improve a lot of his weaknesses. I am still really worried about his agility. So I'll, what I'll say is I'll probably be lower on him than everyone else because if he goes to a good enough landing spot that he's the RB4, other people are going to be taking him at the 108, 109. I'll still be taking wide receivers over him at that point. But it's really hard to argue with his upside if he gets the good draft capital Speaking of that, do you have any landing spots that you think are just really good fits for him? Yeah, Miami's no doubt about my favorite spot for him. That's the best spot by far, by far. I would say that. Honestly, I'm pretty fine with him, even if he goes to a team with like a Jarek McKinnon type back in there, because I I don't think he's a great receiving back, and I don't think a team's going to rely on him to be one. So I I really like Miami. I think he could get good 15 to maybe 20 carries a game there at an early start in his career, which is just, he would just be gashing teams down the middle and he'd probably be a thousand yard rusher pretty soon in his career in Miami. So that's definitely my favorite spot for him. 
Yeah, I love that as a spot. I mean, you look at what a guy like Raheem Mostert did in that offense. We talked about Elijah Mitchell. Obviously, it's you know a similar offense to what they're running in SF. At least uh, the running game is similar. The passing game is quite different. But either way, I think that's a very good landing spot for him. Um, Atlanta's another one that I looked at. I know Algiers there, but I think Abinakanda is just a much better player over there. Um, one spot that I really liked before they signed David Montgomery was the Detroit lions, just because they have arguably the best offensive line in the league. Um, you know, Philly and Dallas are up there, but definitely one of the best offensive lines in the league. And they have a guy like Deandre Swift, who's not going to be stealing red zone work from him, who can take over a lot of the third down work, you know, put a Banacanda in the Jamal Williams role. And I think he would do better with it. You know? Yeah. I like that spot as well. Both good landing spots and, one key thing you mentioned is that offensive line. If he has it, he's going to pop a lot of big runs and he's going to be effective early on in his career. So we're banking on that. We're banking on day two draft capital. And like you said, Izzy's ceiling is just very incredible, especially standing out in the tier that you mentioned. You have them around guys like Evans, Devin Achain, Sean yeah. Tucker. He's most definitely the biggest workhorse ready guy out of those guys based on size and athleticism. So I'm just, I have him very similarly ranked as you do, to be honest. Like you said, he's probably around top seven ish for you. I have him between six and seven. Him and Achain are at the top of that tier for me. So I'm definitely high. I think we're both higher on him than most right now, honestly. I, I haven't even seen him in top eight, top 10, some spots. I see a lot of people now bumping him up. He's been eight for me for a while. So he bumped up a little bit after the pro day, but his weaknesses kind of, stand out a little too much so i think i need to see him get day two early third maybe mid to late second round draft capital to bump him up even more yeah i mean for me i view him in comparison i know you love kendra miller but i think of manikanda is just a way better player i view him versus a guy like chase brown another guy who had a good combine behind a big vertical he's just a way better player than chase brown is um, I think it's going to be an interesting discussion depending on Evans and Tucker's draft capital and Akane, like you said, I have them back to back right now in the same tier. Akane, he actually had the production profile in college. I think he's even a more explosive athlete than a Benikanda. Certainly uh, horizontally, his at, he's much better agility, but yeah. Izzy has that NFL size, right? I Even though Akane was getting 20 plus carries a game in college, I think Izzy is more likely to get that in the NFL I will be keeping an eye on his landing spot. There's a few places that I've heard is potentially good spots. Cincinnati, uh, New Orleans. Um, I've heard Tennessee as a potential Henry replacement. Those are three teams with terrible offensive lines. If he goes there, I think he will be massively overdrafted and I will probably have zero shares of him. Yeah, um, I don't really like the New Orleans one because Jamal Williams there. I think they'd kind of yeah. clash a little bit, but I would I wouldn't mind the Tennessee spot because I just think he would get those touches in that system. Good or bad O line, as long as you're getting the touches right, volume volume translates the fantasy points. Yeah. The one question I have for you for the listeners: Where would you rank Israel Abanaconda in your 2022 running back rankings? Ooh. That's very interesting. Uh, give me a second. I got to pull up pull up some numbers before that uh, to do that. Before we get there, I'm going to ask you, and obviously it depends where he ends up going. Let's say he gets that early day three draft capital. 
where would you be comfortable drafting Izzy in a startup? Just to, about what range? I would take him over guys like Rashad White and Algier and Pacheco and all those guys. So I'd yeah, say. So, so those are guys worth about the 204 round. right now in a rookie draft, and they're going in the eighth or so round in startups. Yeah, so I'm comfortable taking Izzy as an early early to mid-early second-round pick in rookie draft. So wherever you think that correlates, it, it varies on startup, but probably around the seventh, eighth round, I'd be comfortable taking him. Yeah, that makes sense. So I'm pulling out my combined 2022 and 2023 board right now, and Abanacanda is currently uh, ninth. And I already said he's seventh in this class. So that would mean that he would be third among the 2022 running backs, just ahead of Rashad White for me, uh, and quite a bit ahead of guys like Algier, James Cook, Isaiah Spiller, Damian Pierce, guys who I had a little bit lower. So that's a great question because it puts into a little bit of perspective just how good this 2023 running back class is. The guy who I have seventh would have been third on my board last year. How about you? Yeah, he would be three as well. Exactly. Yeah. Same spot for me. I'd have him over all those guys. The thing where it would kind of be questionable for me is just how good of a receiver Rashad White was coming out, and he was a good athlete. So that, that would kind of collide a little bit, but I would definitely lean Izzy in. I have him highly graded as a prospect over Rashad White, much cleaner of a profile than White as well. Much cleaner of a profile, and, I mean, most of that is due to I think he's – I think Rashad White was going into his age 23 season coming out of college. So he had a weird profile. I mean, 100th percentile target share for Rashad White, actually 99th if you count Malcolm Perry, but we'll ignore him for now. So clearly a different profile, but a guy like Israel being above Rashad White is a reason why you should be trading Rashad White for the 202 right now. Because if Israel's the RB7 and he's going ahead of Rashad White, you're going to be able to get him at the 202 at the earliest, essentially. So it's why you should be moving off running backs like that at this point. Yep. So one more question for you. What's the absolute earliest you're taking Israel Banaconda in rookie draft? Say he gets round two draft capital. Yeah. So if we're saying best case scenario, in my opinion, is he goes round two, pick 51 to Miami. Um, if that happens, like, listen, there's an argument for him above Quentin Johnston, Jordan Addison, and Josh Downs. I, I probably won't be the one to do it, but you look at the absolute dearth of running backs, especially young running backs in the top, you know, 60 startup picks. There's just not a lot there. I, I was recording earlier today and I came to the logic that Jameer Gibbs should be drafted over JSN. And if Izzy's going to get that, er, that late round two capital to a landing spot like Miami, you can make the same argument to draft him above Johnson, Addison, Downs, et cetera. So I think he could easily hit the 109, 110 range. What I won't be doing is drafting him over Zach Charbonnet, who's a guy that I believe you and I are going to be breaking down a little bit later. I'm excited to talk about. Uh, I think he's just a different level prospect, but Izzy could get as high as my RB4 in that case. How about you? Yeah. It- you nailed it there. I, th- I think if he gets round two draft capital to Miami, I think he's most definitely going to be a first round pick. Yeah. I'm a big wide receiver guy. So it's, it's, I just don't know if I'd be able to get myself to take him over those wide receivers. But like you said, people are going to make a case for it. Right. So it's not about what I'm going to do. It's about what the guys in my rookie drafts are going to do. 
which will bump those wide receivers down. I know you're a big Josh Downs guy, so I know you'd be psyched for that, right? Getting Josh Downs at the 201 or 202, that'd be a gold mine for Zolte. So as long as a band of Canada gets that premium draft capital that he should have locked in with that pro day and that athletic testing, he's going to be a top six guy in my running back rankings in this class. Yeah. And I, like you mentioned that Zach Charbonnet take, I don't think he's this overall like well-rounded as a prospect to Charbonnet at all. I think Charbonnet is much cleaner, much more versatile, especially when it's 14.5% target share. That's absurd. So Charbonnet is much better of a receiver. So the ceiling's higher with Charbonnet there, but I think a Bandaconda profile similarly to him in terms of size and the workload that he can maintain at the next level. Yeah, and a good thing to keep in mind is, I know we've said it a few times, but Izzy is not going to be 21 heading into his rookie year. So even if he doesn't have a huge rookie year, he's going to be heading into his sophomore year still at 21 years old. So there's a much larger window for Izzy to have some success and for his dynasty value to follow. Uh, You know, you and I both play a lot focusing on value, and he has a clear route to really high value, and he has a relatively high floor if he gets the draft capital because he's so young people will make excuses for him for the first few years if that's necessary yeah absolutely and that's the thing too i actually did a thread on this recently maybe about a few weeks ago is the the rookie running backs hold value for a good amount of time you look at guys like dobbins acres they've never really done anything but just shown flashes, right? So these guys are producing at times, but not consistently. So those guys have, they actually both had really bad season ending injuries. I think Dobbins tore everything in his leg. Yep. Nakers had the Achilles tear, right? Mm-hmm. So those are two prospects who are much better than a Bandaconda in terms of versati- versatility. And as prospects, they were both good second round picks. They were highly rated coming out of college. So but those are still two guys that really haven't done much. And you had Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who still had value coming out of his not-so-great, mediocre, underwhelming rookie season. So these this position just holds its value. Damian Pierce, Algier, James Cook, guys like that had good years, but not great years. And they're still, like you said, 7th, 8th round startup picks, Rashad White as well. So this yep. position just holds its value. So that's why I'm assuming you've made that case for Jameer Gibbs over JSN. It's just the running back position is getting so valued right now. Bijan Robinson hasn't played a snap and he's a first round startup pick. So I just think that's something that is a good way to kind of carry on with your process as well. And Javante Williams had a decent rookie year and he was an early second round startup pick. And Travis Etienne didn't even play a snap, and he was a third-round starter pick. So this is something that we need to keep an eye on. So say Israel Banaconda rushes for 700 yards, but he goes day two. He's holding his value, if not going up. So he really doesn't have to do much to gain a little bit of value year after year in his first few seasons of his rookie contract. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at guys like... Uh, you know, Jahan Dotson, for instance, is going behind Damian Pierce right around Rashad White and Isaiah Pacheco. I I know Pierce and Pacheco had good rookie years, but Dotson was probably better, right? You can, George Pickens is barely going ahead of Damian Pierce, Traylon Burks too, and people love him. And then of course you look at the top, you know, Kenneth Walker is going ahead of Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Drake London, who all had way better years. So that's an argument for taking a guy like Izzy, who is young, 
He has upside. He has all the athletic potential in the world. And I think he's going to be a guy who's going to be raising on draft boards and likely going at the round one, two turn. Um, with that, I, I think we've analyzed just about all there is to say about him until we get a landing spot. Uh, do you want to tell us where we can find you more of your work? Yeah, you can guys can follow me along on Twitter at FF Snoog, and I'm constantly posting out rookie threads, prospect evaluations, just how to be a better dynasty player in a nutshell. So shoot me a follow. DMs are open 24-7. If you guys have any questions, please feel free. I try to answer all my DMs every day. So that's one thing. And the second thing is just focusing on your rookie drafts. They're coming up soon. Hold on to your picks. Don't let loose on them yet. And just try to find the values in your rookie drafts. Play your board. If you have a guy like Abanaconda over Sean Tucker and Sean Tucker's going around the 201 and Abanaconda's a 206 guy, don't reach on Tucker at the 201 if you don't like him. Move back. Get your guy that you have above Tucker and get a big plus on top. And that's how you'll just do successful rookie drafts throughout the spring and best of luck to all of you. Yeah, absolutely. And I love talking to you. We think similarly about, you know, moving back, don't be picky, get the market value. And also I love the way that you integrate both statistics with film. You know, I think it's the best way to go. The best answer to either or is usually both. So definitely check out FF Snoop's work. He's got some great work on the rookie profiles and uh, different film threads as well. Um, so that's it for the Israel Abanaconda thread, uh, sorry, uh, podcast recording. Um, and please, uh, tune in soon. I'll be releasing a prospect preview on all of your prospects, relevant ones, at least in this draft, probably hitting the top 40 or so. And they're going to be coming in quick succession, probably one a day for the next month or so until we get to the draft. So you'll be hearing from FF Snoog soon to talk about Zach Charbonnet. And you'll of course be hearing from me and more of my prospect threads coming up. Thanks so much for tuning in.